Sylvie Cachet was young. She was beautiful. She was living her best life. She was doing what everybody dreams of in the fashion world, creating. She was out there meeting people, making connections, and she had a thriving business. Suddenly things changed as they do in the fashion business, and Sylvie's life changed. But as one door closes, we learn another door always opens. And Sylvie found love. She found someone sexy, someone attractive, someone fun, someone that brought some adventure. But sometimes those bad boys are just a little too bad. You have to check out this episode of True Crime and Fashion, and you are going to see why this is so scandalous. You just can't believe this behavior. The gall, the balls, the chutzpah some people have, and they call it love. Thank God for fashion. I think there's so much crime in fashion because people are drawn to fashion. I got into the business of fashion to tell stories. Flashes all around. Top model Gia got it all, all at once. At the end of the day, it's the comeuppance. The runway catway's mine. We have very eclectic personalities. I'm here with Philip Blosh. My fabulous co-host, Pat Cleveland. Biggest crime in fashion has been the death of Versace. Shortly before 9 a.m., fashion designer Gianni Versace was shot on the steps of his villa. And now I get to tell the stories of people I love in fashion. When people are caught and they have to pay for their crimes. Body found yesterday in the Seine River in Paris. How did she die? Katusha Neon. Sylvie Cachet was on top of the world. Her body found in an overflowing bathtub. You're listening to True Crime, Fashion and Passion with your host, Philip Locke. Here we are at another episode of True Crime, Fashion, and Passion. I think this story really is about the sins of the father being revisited on the son. I feel like our victim in this in this case, our, our heroine, is really just collateral damage. Today we are talking about Sylvie Cachet, a very well-known cool designer, her boyfriend Nicholas Brooks, and his father Joseph Brooks. And I have a very special guest co-host with me. You may know her from Sports Illustrated covers and from her calendars and from 60 movies that she's done and countless fashion shows, the legendary supermodel Carol Alt. Thank you, Philip. And let me say I'm with Philip Block, <laughs> stylist extraordinaire, and now podcast entrepreneur. Yes, yes, yes. Podcast entrepreneur and producer and writer. And, and uh, just about every hat, which, you yes, know, thank which I have many of. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, Philip, I have to say I am amazed at how many stories there are in the fashion industry that end up like this. You know, I was a swimsuit model. Sports Illustrated. I had uh, two covers and worked with them for nine years. And we worked with all kinds of designers. And this is a story Sylvie that, would have been it, your girl. She would, I, I was, as I was reading this and what you wrote here and how in depth you went into her life and her legacy, I was. I, you know, I, I saw myself in a sense as that young girl coming in and wanting to create your, my own thing and do my own thing. You know, I started posters and calendars yeah. because I wanted to create, and I, I saw that in Sylvie. I'm actually going to start a little bit with Syl Sylvie because she's oh, okay. our. I, I I like to focus on who really is the victim here of all of this, and 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 the person that can't tell their story. And and I feel that part of what we're doing is telling their story. I think whenever you see Absolutely. in the news, mm -hmm. um, people say I I want 
want people to know what happened. I want them to remember them to my daughter, who they, who they were. And I think that's what, what our job as prophets in the podcast world, that's what our job is. And I think, you know, in every one of these stories, I think you and I can relate to them in, in many different ways, well, especially- crimes of fashion. And passion. And, and we have all had big careers in that. Sylvie grew up in Virginia, a very well-known family. Her father was a prominent surgeon. Her mother was an artist. So it's always interesting. You have the brain the and the and creative. The creativity. Creative and they, how they come together. Her parents were immigrants from Peru. So they came, they made a better life for their kids. Always fascinating to see how that changes someone's life and how that inspires them to want more. Sylvie wanted to be a, a designer from three years old. She loved the limelight. She loved fashion. She really was excited. And By the way, she was stunning. Stunningly beautiful. Stunningly that, beautiful. That combination of Peruvian skin and the bone structure and the eyes. The long, is, dark hair. Oh my God. Gorgeous So, so, so beautiful. Absolutely. And so sweet. And talented and cool. Yeah. So at 29 years old, she launched her, her swimsuit line, Sila. But before that, she came to New York and right away she got a job for Marc Jacobs. Right. Then she worked for Tommy Helfiger. Uh, one week after arriving in New York, she was working uh, at Vic, Vic, then she was working at Victoria's Secret and right. Ann Cole. So they all saw her, her talent. They all saw her talent. And at 29, at 29 years old, she, she had her own swimsuit line. She broke away and wanted line. to do her own thing. She went to Miami, which is where the big... Big swimsuit Absolutely. Shows are. Yep. Well, that kind of started <laughs> yeah. after our time, I yes. think, really. I mean, that's really in the last 10 years. You know, swimsuits really took a big turn after after the 80s. It, all of a sudden... Norma Kamali. A whole lot... Well, I wore Norma Kamali many times in Sports Illustrated. In fact, one of her bathing suits I love so much, I went to the store and bought it. <laughs> well, I think we started to see with the whole disco movement, you started to see bathing, bathing suits, suits as, as fashion. fashion. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Kind of like when they were wearing bras outside their shirt. Yes, exactly. I wore bathing suit tops all the time in the summer to go into the studio. Right? Uh -huh. I, and I can't believe how many times I try and say, oh, so we'll get you this bathing suit and then you can wear it with this skirt and the suit. You can wear it under a blazer. What? I could wear a blade. It's like a bodysuit. Like, yeah. people don't understand how, how to mix and match sometimes. Well, Sylvie did. Sylvie yep, knew yep. how to mix and match, and she had this amazing career. So she literally launched in, in Miami at Swimsuit Week, automatically Sports Illustrated, InStyle Magazine, Lucky. Everybody was covering her. She was everywhere, and she was actually dating Ben Baker, who was her photographer and fiance. I like when that happens. I'm know, still waiting for a lawyer. Business and pleasure, right? <laughs> mixing business and pleasure and getting a discount in exactly. between. <laughs> what more could you love? What's not to love there? I mean, I, I Why think, do you want to date a lawyer? Uh, uh, free legal advice. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I find like nowadays everything's a contract. Everything's a permission slip. Like, it's babe, very can I send this over to you? <laughs> yeah, he'll protect you. Exactly. And do it fast. I find lawyers are notoriously slow. Exactly. It's like, well, my lawyer's great. Thank th thank God. All God right, so bless So she him. had this fashion photographer boyfriend, so she got the best of both worlds. She got the best of both worlds. She got the discount and the good-looking the good guy. Got but it. somewhere along the way, the financial crisis happened in 2008. Her business... Yeah, as went, many businesses as, did. I was I started a collection in that time, too, and we were selling to Bendel's, we were selling to Barney's, and... Was this your NFL? Uh, no, this was before the NFL. This was a little sweater collection. Collection I did with like beading and sequins on it. Oh, 
nice. And we launched literally two weeks because right. Fashion Week ha- you know, was in September, and that's when the crash was. Listen, I did the same thing with the skincare line. Really? In that time? Yeah. We had a big backer, and he fell out. Well, that's that's what happened to Sylvie, too. And yeah. she she was really kind of floundering, as, as you probably were, and I was a little at that time. You know, you're like, okay, what do I do? My dream here, I had a million dollars worth of sales yesterday, and all of them just canceled today. I mean, we all had the rug pulled out from under us, and Sylvie was definitely in that in that area. So she went back. She started to, you know, wonder what she was doing with Ben. I, I guess she just really was questioning her life, and she broke up with Ben, broke off the engagement. She started to work for other designers, and it just really wasn't... She wasn't happy there. No, she had gotten that taste, you know. Yeah, she being was your own boss. Doing her own thing, and I, I think that she missed that. And somewhere as fate would have it, she ended up meeting Nicholas Brooks, trust fund kid. We'll talk about his father in a moment, but Nick doesn't really have much going for him other than he was a trust fund kid. He was cute. He was sweet. I think he was just that thing that throws you off your game and takes you out of your problems. He's the Pete Davidson. A little irresponsible. <laughs> uh, yes, the little bad boy. We love a bad boy. Again, little Pete Davidson. But on their first date, he was rather sweet with her. Oh, yeah, they know how to do it, right? They don't tell you they're crazy when you first meet them. Yeah, well, when, <laughs> when her dog got run over on their first date, he stayed with her all night. I and know. she was a dog lover. And I can understand that because I rescue animals. As a cat lady, so yes. I rescue animals, yes. Yeah, so Absolutely. And, and her dog he stayed with her and he with stuck her with her. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's so many levels to this. And in in dating, whether you're a supermodel or a designer, whether no matter what world you live in, there's just crazy people out there and they don't tell you they're crazy when you meet them. No, you, you have to dig and find that you out. You dig and you really don't know until you're deep and your heart's invested and you're invested and suddenly they're living in your house and you're just, or you're living in theirs well, and you're completely you dependent on them. because you can't those things when you're working all the time, working every day, you're focused on your work because you know in this business to have a career, it literally is 24-7. It's not weekends Absolutely. off and Christmas and Easter. You are working straight through. I remember calling my family from the Champs-Élysées, people thinking, oh, it's so great you're in Paris. I'm standing <laughs> in the rain on the Champs. <laughs> trying to call my parents on Easter. Trying to call collect because I don't have yeah. coins to put in the phone. There's no cell phones. Anyway, you know, I, I think yeah, the interesting thing, and we thing. and we can't we can't negate the D. When you're getting the good D and it makes you happy and all those endorphins are going, you overlook that he's a little bit of a slob and he smokes pot all day and he doesn't have a job and he really isn't cleaning the house and you know you see all those things those things kind of yeah, after he moves in I got when it. they laying down the pipe and it's good you don't always see all those things so I, I think that really is what happened here but let's talk about how Nick became Nick yes this Nicholas, is an interesting story this is a really so, so this story this is the sins of the father Joseph Brooks won his Oscar 40 years before Nick and Sylvie even met each other <laughs> they were they were not even in anybody's orbit of the, of them being born at that at that point. He won he was started out as a jingle writer. He wrote for Pepsi and Dial and Maxwell House. He came up with the slogan good to the last drop. Oh wow. yeah. Like this guy was the Super jingle good. king, like Madman time. Madman. You know, remember the show Madman? Oh, he course. was he was like the that kind of a guy. Two and a half men. Exactly. Charles and Charlie on two and a half men. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The, jing- the exactly, writer. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But he got out of that. He became an Oscar-winning he, so he, he believed in he had such an ego and he believed in himself so much. He basically took his money that he made in jingles. And again, I think it's that story of in the industry where you're known for this and you he probably hated it in the end. Yep. And he wanted to be taken as a serious as a serious writer. Box, exactly. Right? Trying to break Everyone's the making him a super like we have the issue of, you know, oh, you're, um, you're just a model. You can't be an actress. Oh, you can't be a journalist. Journalist, or you, 
you know, everybody Can't be wants good you. at more than one thing. Yeah, and listen, Marilyn went through it too. You've got to be the dumb blonde, you know, or they they always want to put you in the box in Hollywood. And 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 when you're successful at one thing, sometimes that is your burden the rest of your life is trying Absolutely. to prove. Well, I can do other things as creative people. You want to do more. So he put his money into this movie, which didn't really do very well, but the song ended up winning. A, an Oscar, and it was You Light Up My Life by Debbie Boone. My Whitney Houston even recorded the song many years oh my God, later. I got, a, I got a story about You Light Up My Life. Tell me. My father died on Christmas morning, one month after I got married. Mm-hmm. And we all went down to my mother's house to have Christmas after we heard the news. And my brother had sent dolls to each of his sisters, myself and my two sisters. My sister Karen opened up her doll, and as she's pulling it out of the box, it started to play. You light up my life. Oh my and God. we all kept it together until that moment. That song played a huge role in my life after that because every time I needed to cry during a movie, so all I have to think of is Absolutely. that song. Tears right away. Well, just it's an amazing more. song, I have to say. Just one more thing we have in common. My mom died on Christmas morning. She did. Yeah. Oh wow. Nineteen ninety. Long Island kids and Wow. Yeah. We never knew that. No. And we've known each other a long time. That's why but we digress. <laughs> we digress. But um so you light up my life, you know. I mean yes. he made Made a fortune on a that. Fortune on it. At the peak of his career, he married a Playboy model, actress Sue Paul. So he married a model. He right. liked the pretty ladies. And apparently, that was his reward. <laughs> I like that theory. Yes, absolutely. He definitely had a way with the ladies for sure. They had two children together: James Brooks and Amanda. Amanda, Amanda who's beautiful, stunning, stunning girl. She went on to be an actress, actress. Mm-hmm. but again, the career not quite fulfilled. Not. not quite probably the career she might have had. Who knows if this had something to do with it because it's sort of, I Googled, I looked it up, like, you don't really hear of her that much anymore. I wonder if this... You know, you can never tell with women, you know, like we talked before, yeah. she could have met a guy and got kids and she was the one in the homemaker and had to stay home and give up her career for that. I mean, I went through periods of that in my life. We had a, a Absolutely. very successful partner and, you know, one career takes precedence. Absolutely. So well, she could have had fallen into that. You never know. You never know, but... He, in this story, as as earlier in her life, this is very important. Like uh, when the parents were getting a divorce, they they got a divorce early on. Um, Sue won custody of the kids, and you know his father had quite an ego, as we know. He was that man, so he wasn't going to have the controlling, controlling. And rich men can be vicious. I don't know how many times I've seen them clean out bank accounts and leave their wives and kids with nothing. Yeah, they're financially savvy, so they know all those little sneaky things to do. They're screwing their wife and their kid, like yeah. like. I just don't get it. I just the don't get it. Thing. You know, it's now it's you all about control. So at one point when Amanda was 12 and, and Nicholas was seven, they went to visit their father in New York for their visitation and he kept them. He moved them from hotel to hotel. Oh, wow. And and his, and his their mother, you know, their mother did everything she could. Frantic, frantic, frantic. frantic. She's And we've seen this case play out many times. Children is pawn. She hired lawyers, but she couldn't compete with the money. I'm sure she got a great divorce met- settlement, but she couldn't compete. And she was in London. She had to come over to America. He's hiding the kids. This went on for a really, really long time. And basically at, at a certain point, you know, Brooks was brainwashing the kids through this whole period. He was like brainwashing them and, you know, your mom's bad, which we've heard. I, I, it's so interesting. Everybody feels like their own case is so, so different. And yet as you become old and wise like us, it's like, oh, that story. Yeah. We know how that yeah, goes. That, again. <laughs> oh. Again. <laughs> Eventually, Sue gave up. She didn't have the money. But basically, Amanda went to live with her mother. And at one point, you know, she left and she decided, I've, I've had enough and I want to go live with my mom. And he 
basically wrote her off at that point. Right, so she's you're out of the will. You're dead to me. Mm -hmm. The old, you're dead to me. You're not going to be in my will. Trying to control with the money. Always trying to control with the purse strings. And Amanda was a young woman. She wanted to be with her mother. She wanted to go back to London. She wanted to recapture the life that she didn't have that was taken from her. You know, I, I think when parents fight over kids like Nicholas, and, uh, like Joseph and, and Sue in this case, the kids are so end up so damaged. So so Amanda and, and Nicholas were separated as, as kids. They never really got to spend at, at that point, you know, and Nicholas was a young, impressionable boy, and he was brought up by his father, who was buying prostitutes for him at some points. Like, Nick, Nicholas was Didn't completely Didn't he send him away to school? Oh, he sent well. him away to school. He had his own apartment. He, he was partying all the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. As I said, irresponsible. He didn't, irresponsible. Nobody taught him responsibility. Responsibility is something that people see and learn through example. And his father rewarded him for, for staying with him and, and allowed him to perpetuate yeah. the 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 bad behavior. <laughs> Nicholas was throwing out plates. Like he wouldn't wash plates. He would throw, throw them, them out. out. His friends would talk about him throwing them out. As we get further along in this story, we realize that as you get older, and, and we know this, you know, the luster fails. You're not as famous as you, as you were at, at a certain point. And Joseph Brooks was basically luring girls up to his apartment on, what was it like, dating sites, like, but early, early dating sites, like okay. uh, before Tinder and, you know, all those, it was like whatever they had then, like Craig List. He was like going on Craigslist and putting up ads for actresses like Academy Award winning producer looking for new talent for his next wasn't project. Even a producer as a songwriter. Come up and sleep on my casting couch. And so as we progress, it turns out that the father was just spoiling him so badly. Nicholas was having prostitutes. This is what he learned about women and sex. It all had to do with money. It was all transactional, and it made him cold. It made him unaffectionate. I think later on we'll see that this this really affected his relationship with Sylvie, this, this upbringing of prostitutes and women being thought of as dismissive, and you just get rid of them and buy another one. And there's no love in that. I think that's a really, a really sad lesson to teach a child. In the end, Joseph Brooks ended up being arrested and charged with more than 100 criminal counts. He was facing 25 years in jail, and this was all coming out right around the time of Nick's trial. So, so let's go backwards now, yeah. that we know a little bit about the main Nick characters and, yeah, here. Amanda. So we have, we have Sylvie Cachet, this beautiful young Peruvian designer who has struggled to make it in the big city. She, you know, gets a little devastated. She gets a bite of the real fashion world. Her Company crumbles. She meets this gorgeous, cute, sexy, bad boy that's got money. Got money. They're having fun. And then... The villain, the villain walks in. The father. The, the, the sins of the father are revisited on the son. So basically, we have this love affair. Sylvie's distracted. She's got this cute, sexy boyfriend. She's trying to get her career together. He's rich, 10 years younger than her. That always works. It looks perfect on the perfect. surface. But we know it's not yeah. because the father, the evil father, has left his mark on his son. On December 10th, 2010, we see that Nick comes over to Sylvie's place. There's definitely some tension going on between them. We, we don't know this till much later on, but there is tension going on there. There's a whole backstory underneath that I'm going to tell you as we go forward mm. because there's lots of scandal involved here, more than we've already heard. So Nick comes over to Sylvie's house. He lights some candles on the headboard of uh -oh. the bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> already? Like we're like what, daughter of a fireman. Yes, that's a no no. Daughter, exactly. You're the daughter of a fireman. We know about candles and fire on the headboard, especially when there's 
apparently a wild sex life, which is brought up in the trial later on. We we hear about the sex life. And um But she also liked to take sleeping pills to help her sleep. Yes, yeah, she so. had fibromyalgia, so she took sleeping pills. pills for pain and so he comes over that night, he puts the candles on the headboard and goes so into the shower. They have sex. They have a, a fun night of sex. It's later discussed in a different way. He it, it, later on in the trial he tries to say it was rough sex and that Sylvie, Sylvie was into rough sex. And I don't like when people talk badly about the dead. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Especially when they're not, not there, there to, to defend, defend themselves. themselves. Exactly. As we have it, Sylvie goes in to take a bath. And when she comes out, the bed had caught on fire and Nicholas was putting out the fire and she had already taken her medication. So she was really woozy and she couldn't really function. And long story short, being fabulous. They went to the Soho house. The Soho house as one who's fabulous in New York. Exactly. It was very famous in Sex in the City. They went there and it's right down the street from staying not far from where you are. You know, that's where you go. Sylvie was so fabulous. She had a special status there. So they got her a room right away. But when she arrived at the hotel, she was really definitely under the influence. And this was not recreational drugs. This was prescribed drugs right. that she was following the prescription for. She wasn't drinking and taking these pills. This was a medication that she takes to go to sleep. She just didn't expect that her home right. would so have been Kristen, put on fire. So Kristen, the front desk, Absolutely. The, the lady at the front desk said she saw that she was under the influence of something. She was woozy. She wasn't speaking well. She had a little bit of a slurred speech. Absolutely. And she got her to her room. And, and apparently in the elevator, <laughs> Sylvie started to vent where this is where we start to find out that there are Cracks in, the rela- cracks in the relationship. Sylvie's like, oh my God, I'm dating this moron. He's much younger than me. He put candles on the headboard and burned my apartment $3, up. $3,000 mattress. Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, she's just in a state and, and, right. she's, and she's complaining because she realizes like I'm with the wrong guy because she already knows more going on that we're going to find out in a little bit as we stay tuned for more. So they get up into the room and apparently they start to have an argument. There's some kind of an argument argument going on. Nobody's quite sure what it's about, but the front desk girl is, is She's walking, walking by. Back, yeah, she, and she and checks she heard into it. the room next door. She uses her key, that right. pass key. She slides into the next room and starts listening. listening. And all of a sudden, everything goes dead. Quiet. Everything goes dead. Dead. Literally. So this is all going on in the 11, 12 o'clock range. Apparently she hears it stop, so she doesn't think anything of it. Okay, they stopped arguing. Maybe they fell asleep. She doesn't know. A couple hours later, there's leaking going on. There's leaking going on downstairs, but nobody really sees that yet, and nobody knows it except the people downstairs. So in this time between them checking in, this argument, and suddenly the silence. Plumbing leakage. Yeah. Nick is going back and forth. He's pacing in the hall. He's biting Biting his his nails. nails. He went to the restaurant. He ordered food. He didn't need it. He just keeps pacing in the hall. And this is all seen on video footage. So you don't know this as the story's happening. But when when the police get involved and go backwards, so Nick decides to go out on the town. Not alone either. No, he ends up talking to this jazz musician in the lobby. Let's go out. (laughs) Hey, let's go party. We're in, we're in, uh, my bathtub is leaking in my room. I just had a fight with my girlfriend. I burnt the mattress in our, in our apartment. Hey, let's Go get a drink. Absolutely. And and we're in the meatpacking district. Time to party and do cocaine. Yeah. So they go to this club and they this after hours club or this club where all like employees like to hang out apparently is a very in the know quiet club. Those who know know. And they were doing cocaine. And so this is where the leaking tub comes in. So the, the floor right below calls the desk. But apparently they call the desk while Nick is still in the building. And this is very, very important because this has him at the... This is 
the change in the case because this puts him at, at the, the scene, scene of, of the, the crime. crime at the time she's already dead. So he's out of the building. He's off partying, doing cocaine with his new friend, his new jazz musician friend, as as rich spoiled boys do. The managers of the hotel go up to the room. They knock on the door and lo and behold, there's Sylvie in the bathtub. The police show up. They call the police. They come and they notice that, you know, the tub is, they've turned the tub off now at this point. The tub had been overflowing, but she has a sweater on, her panties, and a Rolex watch. And apparently bruises on her neck. And bruises on her neck, which later become Nick, says this was rough sex. But so they... That, yeah, but that, he uses that to cover the sins. <laughs> uh, exactly. And and the police right away catch that, and, and they're not strong marks. They're just as if somebody was strangled. Or held them down under the water. Or held them down under the water, exactly. Been drugged because she took her medicine, her medication earlier on. Absolutely. Wow. I just, I just hate seeing somebody so young and talented and with so much to live for. Just becoming fashion roadkill, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like she's... It she's, breaks your heart because that could be any one of us. It could be anybody. It could be any girl anywhere. You didn't even have to be a designer, but we're telling the yeah. story because she was a designer and... No, yeah, she was in fashion. And she was in fashion and, and, and it brought her to this place where he was attracted to her. So at this point, we know that the father's a creep. Sylvie is dead in a bathtub and Nicholas is out partying. He comes back to the hotel with his new buddy. Can't see me, but my head is in my hands. <laughs> you know, uh, crazy. And so he comes back and he's like, what? What happened? Why are the police here? Well, I didn't know anything about this. And, and I don't know. So long story short, he's partied out. They take him down to the police station. He's still drunk and can't speak. He's still drunk and coked out. And he falls asleep. He takes a nap. His girlfriend's dead. And he takes a nap. I mean, this guy has no remorse, no shame. He literally is the ultimate and spoiled kids. He just has no sense of responsibility. That's what the issue is. So he doesn't feel responsible for this. Well, and talk about not feeling responsible. So his father is charged with a hundred criminal accounts and facing 25 years in jail. He kills himself. Mm. He kills himself. Like that is so cowardly and just- How do you go from Academy Award winner to- suicide so you don't get 25 years to life. I mean, how does a life deteriorate like that? Well, I think that's so interesting when we've been talking about Jean-Marie who killed himself recently. Maybe that's another podcast. And, uh, and well, that is. And and we talked about uh, Je and Jeffrey Epstein killing themselves. These men are so rich. They're so powerful. These are stories in the news right now and people like Hillary Clinton killed them and it's QAnon or, you know, like all this crazy stuff. These are the most powerful men in the world. They're disgraced. They're embarrassed and they don't want to live in a jail cell for the rest of their life. You know, they're spoiled. These men are spoiled and they don't want to be held accountable and, and they have not had their epiphany, which we talk about certain people having an epiphany and, and, and they got their comeuppance because they didn't find it themselves. The universe will bring it to you. He ends up killing himself and... He's such a creep. He's such a creep. He doesn't even leave his son Nicholas nor Amanda in Any his money. will. Yeah. After controlling them with the money and saying you're in or out of my will, he doesn't leave him anything anyway. Well, and the interesting thing is, so somewhere along the line, a few months or before all this happens, um, Amanda gets back in touch with her brother through Facebook. They see each other. The bond is there, but they know they can't tell the father. Can you imagine? 
I can't tell my father that I'm seeing my brother. Yeah, or I can't tell my father I'm seeing my sister because the father's already disowned Amanda, so Nicholas can't even say that he's hanging out with Amanda. And I'm sure Nicholas, the kind of guy he is, he ain't gonna say, well, my sis, I have to love my sister, I don't care about your money. Nicholas is more worried about his money, more worried about himself, and I'm sure he has this bond with his sister. But Amanda, as the court case goes, it's fascinating because Amanda continually makes her brother the victim out of this, and Amanda is convinced that her brother never could have done this. It's like, hello, do you know who your father is? You know there's genes, there's genetic material, there's DNA, and DNA detects a lot and, and rules what, what we're but made also, of. this is what the father taught him. The, Absolutely. You're taught by example. This is what the son is watching his whole life. So it's so fascinating that all through the trial, you know, Amanda saying, my brother never could have done this. Interestingly enough, nobody came to really support Nicholas except his mother couldn't come. She was so sick by this point in London. She just had it. You know, I mean, what a sad life. You're this sexy playboy model. You marry this really successful man. You have these two beautiful kids and the things that life brings you all so that happens happened in a lifetime. Her? She just was in London sick. She was too sick to make the trip. She was too downtrodden from the blows that life had given her. And so she didn't come over for the trial, but his godparents came from Florida. They relocated to New York to be with Amanda. And they, I think it's interesting to see, and it tells a lot as I, as I did my research on all these cases, who shows up at the trial? Who shows up? Who supports? Who forgives? gives and forgets and who has just had enough and who just can't cope anymore. So his godparents came up from Florida. Again, they're convinced he never could have done this. And Amanda's convinced well, I don't her think brother he's never an could evil have done kid. I mean, he didn't sound like he was an evil kid. I think he just had very bad examples of what it meant to be an adult. And no morals. His, his moral compass was completely oh. wrong. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> had completely the wrong direction. But I mean, that's created. But you know what? As the story continues, he is... Definitely not a good guy. Really? Yeah, Uh-oh, it gets worse. So, um, you know, they they check the toxicology reports, and it's clear that she just took the medication that she was supposed to be taking. You know, her lungs had, had twice the regular weight of water, which should should lead us to believe that Sylvie was put she in was the drowned. water alive. Yeah, she, she was drowned. in the water alive, and then drowned in the tub. Sylvie's pring- although Sylvie's fingerprints were the only one on the the dial for the water. So apparently, Sylvie put so she on started a tub. Exactly. Apparently, she started the tub to get into the bath. The argument ensued because there's a lot going on that I'm going to get to. I mean, it was December. It's coming. Cold and you want to get into a hot tub. Well, there's more to this and there is a fight brewing that we don't know the reason for the fight, but I know the reason for the fight. Uh I'm going to tell you. Yes, tell me. So she's obviously drowned in this bathtub because of this argument that has ensued and has apparently been going on for a few days. Um, It was 2.11 in the morning when when the tub started to leak. Leak. Nick left the room at 2.18. So that's... That's the thing that makes him... Guilty. This is, in the end, what turns it around. He went out to the party. When the trial begins, dozens of Sylvia's whole family came. Sylvia's family was there, her friends. They wanted to support. Because why? Why are we here? We want to talk about the legacy of the victim, the legacy of our heroine in this story, Sylvie Cachet, who is just really the sad victim in the fashion roadkill of this kid that really had no regard for human life. They they apparently, as the case goes forward, it turns out that Sylvie was constantly having to write him notes. She was right, you know, Sylvie's this girl at this point. Right before this all happened, she's this girl. And she's we know her well. She's taking care of him. She's taking care of him. She's doing everything. She's working. She's trying to get her own career going bigger than, than to get back to where she was with her swimsuit line. And he's not doing anything. He's smoking pot all day. She's texting her friends, oh my 
my God, what am I doing with him? And they obviously, she's clearly dickmatized and she's got that bad boy spell. And we all love a bad boy as we continue with these crimes of fashion and passion. We see there's a lot of bad boys. There's a lot of bad boys in here. And so basically, as, as it turns out, Sylvie's writing to her friends. She's texting her friends and saying, oh my God, what am I doing with him? I got to get away from him. He's not working. I can't get him to do anything. And the sex, you know, she's writing him letters and notes saying like, you're very disconnected. We have sex and then you just roll over. You know, you're not intimate with me. You're not kissing me. You're not, you and know. And it makes you wonder who wanted the rough sex. Thank you very much. And then we get to victim shaming. So it's very interesting that he's saying one thing and Amanda, his sister, is is so sticking up for her brother and trying to make up, I guess, for overcompensate for the time she didn't get to spend with him. I mean, it's sad that the tragedy. It's hard to think of your own brother or your own sibling as killing somebody. I yeah. mean, it's hard to think of that. And especially when you're coming me, from this time where you didn't get to spend time with your brother and you feel guilty yourself. I think there's so much guilt in this story from, from the Brooks Brookses <laughs> that there's just so much guilt here. And I think that's part of Amanda's thing is she's trying to overcompensate for the time she didn't get to spend with her brother. And she really doesn't know her brother. And she really is, I think, delusional in thinking of her brother as the sweet boy and her father. And she's trying to think of the life that she wants to have that really wasn't the reality of their life. And I'm sure that's why their mother was so exhausted and, and, and not well that she couldn't even come to the trial because she knew the reality of what this family was and what had become. So as they get further down the trial, we see that there's all these texts and even right the night before she texted one of her friends and just said, I've got to get out of this. I, I'm so I'm so distraught that I've got to get out of this. So as we get closer and closer to the murder, before the murder happened, there starts to be this trail of these texts and them breaking up and getting back together. And literally the night before at 1 a.m. in the morning, she writes to her her best friend, Alicia Bell, and she says, I've just got to get out of this. Uh, you know, I've, I've just, I've, I've reached the end. Apparently her uh, apparently Sylvie's brother Patrick after Sylvie's death went into all her affairs and her her personal right, effects and started looking at her financial stuff and he realized that there was a financial component to You're this kidding. that nobody knew about nobody none of the friends knew any of this Sylvie didn't share any of this with the friends so Patrick discovered evidence that changed everything he discovered Nick's motive for a while going through Sylvie's personal things it was clear somebody was stealing money from Sylvie and Sylvie was digging it into it herself there were all these ATM withdrawals there was over 30,000. Apparently, the money yeah, had run out. It dried up. Apparently, the, the, the money train, the gravy train was gone. And by this point, the dad was dead, didn't leave them in the, and the will. And in the will. Exactly. So he was looking for a sugar mama. So he was living off her. $30,000. Oh, it, and it gets worse than that. I'm going to need that da, 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 music any second now. There was over $30,000 stolen from Sylvie's fraudulent charges on her with on her ATM, ATM. card. Mm -hmm. Over the she wrote him this this note over the last 6 months I've supported you financially and emotionally the fact that you cheated on me makes me sick and you will fucking pay. Oh, no. I am speaking with the credit card companies and the police and I will tell them that I never allowed you to use my credit card. I don't care. Have fun in jail. So this was the email That's she the sent to Nick 
the night before they ended up at the Soho house. So I think, I think the bed fire was the first time he tried to kill her and that didn't work. He realized this isn't going to work. I think he was trying to put the apartment on fire. Something happened there with that bed. Okay, well, let's just discuss something about giving a guy notice and then going back <laughs> yes. into the ring of fire. Literally. You you give... The bed of fire. Right, the bed of fire. The burning bed, Farrah Fawcett movie. You give the guy notice that you're going to turn him over to the police. You're going to denounce him. You're going to leave him. You don't want to be with him anymore. And then you go back to either get your stuff or whatever you do that gets you in the room alone with a guy that you've just done that with. But do we ever leave? Do we ever just leave? I've, do- I've walked out and just left everything. Uh, See, so you're you're that one. I, I'm, I'm a, I go back one or two more times. I never will after these stories. I literally will never, ever. When I'm done, I'm done. I'm not giving anybody more When you're warning. done, you're done. Stay safe. Go back when the guy's not home. I'm a believer. And get your stuff. I'm a, well, I'm not going to get my stuff. It's usually there stuff that I'm putting in a box, but then I kind of go to them again because I feel bad. Whatever and it is, whatever you go back for, you, if you're giving the lo- a guy- You want to give him another chance. No. <laughs> no. No other chance. By the time you get to the point where Sylvie was at, where you're threatening to turn him over to the police, you give a guy no choice, basically, but to lash out at you. Don't give him that choice. Don't give him the ability to do that. I, I watched some of these true crime stories and you see- Every single time, it's the girl goes back and, and the guy takes that moment to take advantage. And you just want to say, don't go back. You want to say know, to Sylvie, don't go back. But you know, Nick is writing, I'm sorry, I'll do better. You're right. I love you. Oh, baby, give me one more chance. How many songs have been written about it? How many movies have we seen it in? And how many I mean, of these? I suppose these... that you're right. I suppose that's human nature, but I just, it baby, never turns baby, out Baby, baby, give well. me one more chance. I don't think they're talking well, about abusive people but. it certainly it certainly didn't didn't work out and no, so even worse even worse it turns out that he was hiring prostitutes oh, no. on her credit card yes just so like that's where that just like his dad the sins of the father are revisited on the son and sylvie pays the price for these heinous heinous so now you've got crimes. a guy who's got a drug problem, a prostitute problem, and no money. <laughs> exactly. And addictions. Gonna, he's got addictions. And he's, you think he's going to change? He's got a lifestyle to support. He's got a life. And this is, well, she's all finding, this is all happening in all very, yeah, right. over this like 24, 36 hour, hour period. It really comes to a boil on that like 8th, 9, 10 of, of December. Basically, we're in the trial. All this story is coming up and it's all starting to come out about him stealing the money him hiring prostitutes. It's really bad. The prosecution calls 56 witnesses, 56 witnesses, all her friends talk about the text. And there is a whole long story of what's going on here. Like this is a bad story and it's unfolding really from like Thanksgiving to December 10th, which is really Really a short period of time. A short period of time. We all know because it the world crunches so it in that been time. Very intense. Very, very intense. They only call one witness, and it's a medical examiner, and talks about her taking pills and that she was into rough sex. It is like the ultimate in victim shaming. Wow. They have nothing else to defend him with other than blaming, blaming her, her for taking pills that she's got a prescription for, with not mixing with alcohol, not over abusing. I don't know how rough sex get you drowned in the bathtub. I've heard of water sports in the bedroom, but I don't think it has to do with drowning necessarily. I've heard of the asphyxiation thing. 
thing, but I don't think it has to do with the bathtub. I've never heard that done. Manhattan's district attorney, Cy Vance, who's very well known, as we know, in New York, he's prosecuted so many of these cases. He believed that Nick going out and coming back was all the set for the alibi, you know, because they tried to say, well, if Nick did this, why would he come back to the scene of the crime? Well, what was he going to do? It was all about, I'm not here. I'm going to go make an excuse for why I'm not here. They saw him at the front desk. How could he say he wasn't there? Exactly. Well, it was the timing of the water dripping. He was in the hotel by time. On CCTV. Basically. And so the interesting thing is, and you have to realize if that tub was overflowing, how long did it take to get down Down to the the next next room? room? So that was going on for quite a while. That tub was overflowing. So he left theoretically three minutes after the phone call. So that was all that pacing time. That was all that biting his nails time was like, what do I do? And he's thinking of a story. Oh, let me get out of here. And then I'll just say, I didn't know. And she just drowned herself or whatever, choked herself and drowned herself. You know, I hate when I do that. I hate when I choke myself and then get in the bathtub. You know, they sort of equated this a little to the Whitney Houston story, except there, but she you know, wasn't it was taking drugs like that. She was taking a prescription drug she needed for her fibromyalgia. But it's the same story of the drugs and then going under the water. Except he held her under the water. Probably what, what they're presuming is that he held her under the water and and choked her. She didn't. They tried to say that she, you know, fell asleep under the water or drowned herself in her clothes. And, yeah, it was in her top and her like Whitney. Whitney fell into the bathtub. You know, she she fell into the bathtub again. She was like standing in it and actually with her it was the heat from the water. She didn't feel the the anything because she was so drugged up. She didn't know how scalding so hot the water was. She went into shock. Exactly. And but this is forward. not the same thing. And that they're trying to equate it to that. They're trying to do a similar thing that she was on pills. She didn't know. And that was not the case. It took five weeks of testimony and three days of deliberation. And the jury returned with a second degree murder charge. And Nick was sentenced to 25 years to life. It seemed to be a clear cut case of domestic violence. Sylvie knew she needed to get out. And she couldn't. And she couldn't. As of 2017, Nick Brooks was appealing his conviction. I love when you are caught red-handed and you are just, is this not the epitome of, you know, just abuse, just an abusive personality? Um, Cy Vance set up a mayor's foundation and center to help victims of domestic abuse, and it has helped over 20,000 victims by that point, by the from the time this all happened to the trial, over 20,000 victims had been helped well, here in New York something State. something so beautiful could come out of something so horrible. Sylvie's parents also set up a foundation to help victims of domestic abuse in her name. And I think that's all you can do is to help someone's help legacy. Someone else. continue Pay it forward the... to help someone else. And that's why we tell these stories. You know, maybe somebody hears this and gets out. Gets get out. out. Get the hell out. Get help. Don't even get help. Get out. Don't, don't call 911 in this case. Just get out. You know, there, there is no help. Then you got to wonder about somebody who doesn't have any place to go. You know, luckily Sylvie had that prime membership yeah, at the Soul House. She, she just shouldn't have taken she him with him. Yeah. Why didn't she? Just that was that last night. And you know, when you look at these cases in reverse, you just always see where the bad decision was made. Like when the fire started, you should have been like, she already knew. She already knew he was stealing. She already knew about the prostitute. She knew all this. That's when you go, no, I'm going to go to the Soho well, house by myself. she threatened him. She threatened him already. Yeah. You can't take that back. And You threatened to leave. You threatened to turn him over to the police. You threatened to debase him publicly. And then you go back. And, and that's, to me, where something has to, education or 
or something. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Educate women not to step back into that ring. Yeah, once you know, when you see... When once s- they know. As Oprah says, once someone shows you who they are, believe them and believe get them. out. And as I say, get out. <laughs> but once once you've told them what you're going to do, they're going to try and stop you. Absolutely. And absolutely. even if that means turning chameleon. They're going to keep they're going to keep flipping the switch and trying to drag you into their drama. And that's unfortunately where Sylvie Cachet made her final mistake. She was a talented and beautiful young lady with loving friends and a supportive team, but if you don't listen to your friends, and your friends can help you just so much, the secret is to get out. Well, this is definitely a case of good loving gone bad. Gone bad, 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 and clearly the sons pay for the sins of the father, but really it was Sylvie and Sylvie's family that paid for the sins of Mr. Brooks. This was a really, really interesting case because it it covered generations, and you see the depravity and how it kind of goes from generation to generation, and the apple does not fall far from the tree when we inherit our parents' talents and beauty and uh, other good things. Sometimes we inherit their bad qualities as well. Sylvie changed the world, though. I think that the laws that have come from her death have, have made a big difference, and I think there's always family members looking to find something positive when their family members are, are taken from them unexpectedly. And I think this is one of those cases where in the sadness, in the the horribleness and the theft and the murder and the deception, there is a little ray of light and some people will be helped from from Sylvie's pain and sorrow. Next week, you've got to check out our our upcoming episode is going to be really fun. It's a fashion and passion episode with America's next top model star and runway queen. Yes, I said it. Runway queen. You better work that runway, Miss J. Alexander. We've been friends for so many years and you are going to love our BTS with Miss J. 